We are turning the corner. We're rounding third, headed home on this series we've entitled Win in Rome, and uh, we'll be finishing up in the next couple of weeks. Before we jump into today's passage in Rome, uh, in in the book of Romans, uh, I want to back up about 30 years from the time Paul was writing this letter uh, to the final moments of Jesus' life on this earth. When we enter into the Christmas season, the truth is we... Uh, we put Jesus, we should put Jesus front and center. We've said it, Jesus is the reason for the season. May I just kind of shift that a little bit that if Jesus were to say what the reason for the season was, he would say, you're the reason for the season. Uh, it's not just about recognizing Jesus. The whole reason we have this season is because Jesus chose to leave heaven for earth, to be Emmanuel, God with us, so that you could have true relationship with him. It's the purpose of Christmas is that God would become man to give you access to God. That's why we celebrate. But when you see the Christmas story, besides Jesus being born in a manger and two years old fleeing a mass genocide by King Herod, back into the temple area at 12 years old, uh, up until 30 years old being baptized by John, 90% of Jesus' life is pretty much anonymous. It's not until he's baptized into water and he walks into three and a half years of ministry that we really see all that he does and all that he is. And he is living a sinless life, perfect life, up until the point where he is, uh, he is betrayed by one of his own. He is arrested. He's mocked. He's tortured. He's crucified. He's killed. He's buried three days later. He raises again, and for the next 40 days or so, he shows himself to more than 500 people over those next 40 days. And we get to this point that I want to kind of set us up today. We get to this point where it's his final moments before he ascends into heaven. He's already spent 40 days since the resurrection. and We see this in Acts chapter 1. Here's how we read it. After Jesus said this, now what's the this? The this I'm going to unpack a little bit later in the message. After he encouraged them with some words, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Scripture goes on to say that they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Could you imagine the man that they had seen walk on water and raise the dead and turn, you know, feed 5,000 from a to-go box and like all of these different things. Now he's like, and they're just, I don't know how long they looked, but if you ever watched a helium balloon get out of sight, it takes a while. I don't know how long it took, but they were looking intently, so intently that suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I mean, they showed up and they're apparently just like, do you see him, Peter? I see him. You see him, Andrew? I can I kind of get a glimpse. I don't know if that's him or I don't know what that is. He says, as they was going into the sky, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, not a symbolism of Jesus, not uh, an idea or an illustration of Jesus, but scripture says this is a promise of God through the angels. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go heaven. 
the way that they looked intently into the sky and saw him ascend. There is coming a day that Jesus will descend in the same way. And it's the second coming of Christ. Now fast forward to 30 years later, and we pick up the writings of Paul to the saints in Rome in Romans chapter 13. We're just gonna take a small passage from that, from that particular chapter today. Paul writes to the Christians, and here's what he says. He says, this is all the more urgent. Well, what is the this that Paul is talking about? I'm so glad you asked. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. The angels 30 years earlier had said, he's coming back, be ready. 30 years later, Paul says, he's coming back. Time's running, time's running out. Wake up. For your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's getting closer and closer. And even though it's been two, almost 2,000 years since then, this is a biblical promise. It's a foundation of our Christian beliefs. And it's this. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He, 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 the, the, the Bible is just a portion of, of the story that gets us from start to finish. We see the beginning, we see the past, we see the present, we see the future, we see the end. There is coming a time where Jesus is coming again and multiple generations since Peter uh, watching in the sky to Paul writing to Rome, this has been a promise for each and every single generation. The truth is other generations have gone by, but someone's generation will be the final Someone's generation is gonna be the final generation that the clouds will split, the trumpets will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised, and Jesus will set up the new heavens and new earth, the new garden, and restore everything the way it was meant to be at the very beginning. The question I wanna ask you today is, could it be ours? C could it be our generation? There's been a lot of generations saying it could be theirs, but could it be ours? We'll talk about that a little bit. But let me just say, if we knew it was, okay, if we knew that our generation was the last generation and Jesus was coming back, if, if we knew Jesus was coming back on Tuesday, November 28th, 2023, Jesus is coming back on What would change in your life? What high, urgent situation would simply fall off the radar? What back burner stuff would all of a sudden say, oh my gosh, this is so important. What things would we let go of and what things would we grasp onto? Who would we forgive? Who would we ask to forgive us? If the end was Tuesday, what would you see different? What would you look at different? How would you be different? We don't know which generation it's gonna be, but someone's generation 
would be the final generation. And even though we don't know the time or the hour, we'll unpack that in just a minute, the, the truth is the Bible is chock full of signs, signals, uh, kind of uh, uh, pointers towards this is kind of what you can expect towards the end of days. Uh, you, you got past tense, present tense, future tense, end tense, it's intense. There's like increasing signs of Christ's return throughout scripture, all kinds. I'm just gonna give you a handful, plus one. I'm gonna give you six different signs of, of Christ's return. And listen, if you're even sitting right now going, Oh, I've heard I've heard this before. Okay, and I mean we've been talking about this for a long time. Listen, I, I get it. I get it. Um, if you've kind of gotten soft on this idea and it's not really been on your radar, pay attention. The, the, the truth is, this is a foundational understanding of how God works. It's a foundational understanding of the story of God, and you're part of that story. So let me give you six different increasingly intense signs of Christ's return. Here's a few. First, number one, an increase of wrong predictions. <laughs> so like more and more and more people are saying, I know when he's coming back and whatnot and everything. And I mean, it started a long time ago. Do you remember Y2K? Well, even before then, there was Y1K. Y1K, December 31st, 999, in Rome, Italy, at St. Peter's Basilica Church. The place was packed, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people with their family, with their wives and their children, hands lifted, worshiping God. It had been foretold, and somebody had predicted that Jesus was coming back on January 1, 1000. And I mean, it was so intense. People had given away possessions. Uh, stores were giving away food. I'm not talking about 80% off, 100% off. Kind of like a time when I was a kid and I traveled to Tijuana with my, with my family and we were going through uh, Tijuana. We were doing kind of the negotiations there in, 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 the, in the merchant. And there was a guy in, 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 in Spanish, uh, in his English, he was saying, everything 50% off, 70% off, 100% off. I don't think he knew what he was saying in that moment. English, not so good. So anyway, moving on. There has been an increase of predictions because January 1st came and St. Peter's Basilica was still packed. And January 9th, they were like, can I get, can I get that back that I gave you? Remember how I forgave that loan? I need, I need you to, you know, you still got to pay for your jet skis. Sorry. And it didn't stop there. Throughout scripture, throughout history, we've had people predicting that, that Jesus was coming back. When I was in fourth grade, 1988, there was a book that came out that hit the evangelical church by storm, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And even though scripture is clear, we don't even know, people were like looking through the window. I mean, I, I myself was like, oh, I wanted to get my driver's license. And, and yet it was intense in those moments, man. Like, like I, grew up in a, I grew up in kind of the season of the church where like we were scaring hell out of people, okay? Like it was intense, like turn or burn, get right or get left. And there was this videos that came out called Thief in the Night. And it was all about the, the second coming of Jesus or like the rapture of the church. 
and like at youth camp for a slumber party instead of watching Back to the Future, we were watching these return rapture videos and like getting the junk scared out of us. I mean, it was filling the altar, I can tell you that. Because these videos are like, you got left behind and, and people getting, you know, beheaded in their tribulation and well, I don't want to get beheaded. I mean, like it was intense. So much to the point, like a couple weeks later, we were in Burlington Coat Factory uh, and mom was buying us some Easter suits and somehow we got split up. This was in Olathe, Kansas. And I couldn't find mom. And all that was going through my head was this song on the Thief in the Night Rapture video. I wish we'd all been ready. And I'm like, I got left behind. Kurt Cameron, help. <laughs> I was scared to death that I had been lost, that the rapture had happened, and I was going to go through tribulation and blood and everything to the point where we didn't have iPhones. So I ran to the bathroom and there was a payphone by the bathroom called 1-800-COLLECT to call my house to, to see if, if dad was going to answer. And he didn't answer. And I knew he was gone. I was done. What am I going to do? I can't even drive. And so like, I'm, I'm like playing in my last will and testament, walking through the, 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 the Easter suits at Burlington. My mom turns around the corner. I mean, Wow. I confessed every single sin to her in the next 45 seconds. I, I, Mom, remember how I said I, was, wasn't, I was there? Remember how I said I didn't watch that movie? I did watch that movie. <laughs> Something about that. But like, it's not even been 1988. The next year, he wrote 89 reasons why he's coming back in 89. Um, year 2000, you know, rise of the Terminator machines. We were all like storing chili beans up and, you know, concerned that the computers were taking over, everything was gonna get shut, and, and that Jesus was coming back. 2012, December of 2012, according to the Mayan calendar, Jesus was coming back. A few years after that, it was uh, blood moons. We got big in on the blood moons. And then just like a month and a half ago, October 7th, major terrorist attack in the Middle East putting Jerusalem in the middle of intense situations that correlate to end times. And we're still asking the question, whoa, could this be the time? Uh, scripture is clear, though, that Matthew 24, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. There's certain things that the father has just chosen to hold only by himself. We don't know. And so if, if you hear people saying, ha I think it's going to be, I've, you know, I've, I've dotted the T's, I've crossed the I's, I've looked at the Omega code, and here's what's going to happen, then just know that it's not going to happen yet. There's an increase in wrong predictions because God is God, let him be God. But it doesn't mean that we should just turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to it either. Number two, an increase of wickedness, that there would be an increase of wickedness, but but. But notice that there's another fill in the blank if you're filling in the blanks. It's not just wickedness on the earth. The, the scripture is clear that there would be wickedness in the church. Jesus says it like this, at the time, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. This is not just non-believers. This is people that are believing. They'll turn away from the faith. They'll betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. That's called YouTube church right there. Lots of craziness out there. People just hook, line, and sinker. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
That scares me. Scare isn't the right word. Terrify would be better. But not terrify as in nervous, terrified as in concern for our souls, everybody. That the love of most would grow cold. That the capacity for a majority of those even in our own church, that our, that our love that we've had for Jesus could grow cold and we would replace it with other things, other stuff, other priorities. That how we first loved him and we first love others, we, get, we lean from compassion to criticism. We lean from leaning not to leaning in to what we can control. It's a scary place to be. The most would grow cold. I don't, I don't want that for my heart. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for you. Is this, in this season, I also want you to know, it becomes harder and harder to have a biblical worldview, a biblical compass in these days. Because even just having the compass is a sign that you, you, you are bigoted, you are, um, you, you are phobic, uh, you are close-minded, just by having, just by saying the word of God, we take it as the instrument for life. It is the compass for the decisions we make, the lives that we live. And I want you to know that even as in, it, wickedness increases, people are still hungry for truth. And the truth sets us free. And this is gonna be the kind of church that we are not going to be a church full of conviction and no compassion. We're gonna have conviction, but we're also gonna have compassion. We're gonna speak the truth, but with the same amount of truth, we wanna offer the same amount of grace. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace and truth together is medicine. I want you to know that we're not gonna shy away from issues. In the next year, we're gonna be talking about a lot of very popular issues, drilling a little deeper. People need to know the truth and what Jesus actually says about stuff from gender to sexuality to marriage to decision-making to, to uh, finances to, um, to, to how we treat one another, to criticism, to gossip, to slander. Like we need, the truth will set you free and the word of God is the final authority for life, everybody. We should live in this evil world, Paul says in the book of Titus. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God but it's becoming increasingly more difficult for some people to do that. Now, let me show you there's a trick here. Not a trick, there's a helpful, a helpful hint on how to do that. We do this while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Do you see? Isn't it interesting? You may have hard time living in wisdom, living devoted to God, living in righteousness. Well, when we forget that Jesus is coming back, it's easier and easier to drift. It's easier and easier to drift. But when we keep on the forefront one of these key principles of our understanding, our, our theology as Christ followers, knowing that he's coming back, it helps us while we look forward with hope. It helps us stay strong in, 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 in crazy times. Let's keep going. Number three, there'll be an increase of doubt in Christ's return. I mean, some people doubting Christ is actually coming back is just a sign that he's actually coming back. 
Check out the scripture, 2 Peter. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, well, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. It's been like that. It's going to be like that. It's always going to be like that. My great, great, great grandfather was talking about it. Peter was talking about it. Paul was talking about it. We're talking about it. I mean, come on. Um, The truth is they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. What is that scripture saying? You and I know when we stop and we realize it, we know, we know that God is a supernatural God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is all powerful. He is all holy. But we deliberately forget because we would rather think about the control that I have, what I can do, my handle on things. Let me do it my way. And I deliberately forget, and I push aside for my way over his way. And I've said it all throughout this scripture, all throughout this series. Sin is my way over God's way in any way. The truth is, many will doubt it, and just that just simply means his time is getting even closer. Number four, there'll be good news and bad news. Bad news, increase of wickedness in the church. Good news, an increase of gospel advancement. The gospel, what is it? It's the good news that Jesus left heaven for earth, lived the perfect life you should have lived, paid the debt you owed that you could not pay, so he paid it for you to give you access to God, and then he ascends into heaven, and he prepares a place in heaven for you. You don't prepare it for yourself because it's not about what you could do. It's about what he has done and what he is doing, and that's the gospel. That's the good news for everybody that all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God have access to the gospel, and there is an increase of the gospel in the last days. Did you know that from Jesus to 1970, in this time, about 1.2 billion Christians living. But now, 50 years later, in about 2020, living actually alive right now, there are over 2.6 billion Christians alive right now. A huge advancement from the time of Christ and his uh, crucifixion and resurrection and ascension till 1970, but the last 50 years, there's been an exponential explosion of gospel advancement. We'll go back to that scripture. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but it doesn't stop there. The scripture says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Jesus says, this gospel, the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Who nations? all nations, and then the end will come. So there's a promise here that the gospel is going to reach into all the nations before the end happens. Has that happened? No. Especially when you understand that when we think of nations, we think of maybe the 193 sovereign nations that are represented in our world. But when he says all nations, he's not thinking of governments. He's, he, the, the word in the original language is about uh, tongues or languages. And so it's really talking about language groups. So even though there's 193 sovereign nations, there are over 7,000 language groups in the world. 7,000 language groups. Out of those, there are still 1,800 language groups that have yet to hear the words, God so loved you. 1,800 language groups 
you know when you give at Timber Creek? We don't have all these different buckets you can give to. We give to one big fund. It's like a one kingdom mutual fund. And when you give, you not only give towards what happens here locally, all the different ministries of the church, as simple as even keeping the lights, light bill paid. But we, through Africa's Hope, we are reaching 867 unreached people groups. You are part, in our partnership with Africa's Hope and the missionaries that we support there, we are translating right now 11 different languages, right now, that, are, that is going to give the Bible, the New Testament, into people's hands that have never heard the story of Jesus in their own language. Because you give, we're able to partner with things like that. And you know, part of like giving, even the angel tree, as simple as something like that is, it's 117 families across our Timber Creek locations won't quite have a Christmas this year without somebody helping them. 117 families in our church home. We do a lot outside. But that's why the angel tree is so awesome is you get to help people inside the church. And it's part of just advancing the good news of Jesus. Now, also, 2017, 16% of the world was in extreme poverty. Over the last few years, by 2022, that has actually gone down. 9.2% of the world is in extreme poverty. It's almost cut in half just in the last five years. And that's not because the world has just become more generous. The truth is that is because the gospel is advancing. Get, look at this, 9.2%, uh, 90% of that number, 90% of that number, there are no Bibles and no churches. The truth is this, when the gospel gets out, well, you can't really eat a Bible if you're malnourished, no. But there's something about the Bible and the gospel message changing people's lives because the whole gospel is about you not getting everything. It's actually about you receiving from him so you can give. And so the real answer to extreme poverty, the real answer to world hunger, the real answer to, to issues in our world is not another solution, it's a savior. It's a savior, plain and simple. Do you know that there is so much, there is so much money, but there's not enough money for all the greed in the world. There's not enough money for all the greed in the world, but there's plenty for all the need in the world. There's plenty for all the need in the world. Um, the world spent $34 billion last year on weight loss supplements. And scientists have determined about an investment of $40 billion a year for three years would rid the entire world of world hunger. Last year, we spent money on trying to lose weight. And yet, had we invested that and put that in, about $40 billion a year for three years would solve the world hunger crisis. So just doing it with all the greed ain't gonna ever happen, but Jesus has given us an opportunity with all the need, and the truth is the gospel changes everything. The gospel, people understanding the good news causes us to be givers and to be blessers, not just receivers. Number five, there'll be an increase of knowledge and technology. We look back towards the book of Daniel chapter 12 and the angel says to Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end because at the time of the end, many are gonna run to and fro talking about travel and knowledge shall increase. Do you know that from the time of Adam and Eve, to my great-grandparents, a lot of knowledge didn't, knowledge didn't change very much. We kind of knew what we knew. Like, my great-grandparents rode around in a horse and buggy, and so did Julius Caesar. It wasn't until over the last 
few decades that now, now we have uh, uh, going from smoke signals and hieroglyphics to Snapchat. I don't know if that's an increase in knowledge or an increase in stupidity, but like there's been an incredible now that knowledge is increasing almost every other year, a doubling of knowledge. It's insane. This is the, here's another one on increasing of knowledge. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. A hundred years ago, we couldn't even fathom what that would even mean, especially in the days of Daniel or Zechariah. But in the, uh, in the discovery and the birth of the atomic and nuclear warfare, this is exactly what could happen in the blink of an eye. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies, talking about people that were uh, assassinated for their belief in Jesus, two, two prophets, and they'll refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. Every tribe, language, and nation, how does that even happen 100 years ago? But that could happen Facebook Live today. When I was in Africa a few years ago, there were no telephone poles, there were no telephones, but everybody in the village had a cell phone because technology advanced so quickly, they didn't have enough time to build the infrastructure of telephone poles and cables. They just went immediately to satellite technology and wireless technology. And now people uh, across the world are tuning in, across the world, just even to Timber Creek Church. There's this huge increase of knowledge and technology in the end days. Number six. There'll be an increase of wars and famine and disease and earthquake. The Johnson administration said that they were gonna cure all diseases by 1970. And yet there's still more and more diseases, more and more issues. I mean, 2020, one, one of them caught us kind of off guard. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. They've gotta, they've gotta happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. I mean, just look at uh, constantly negative news. That's what CNN stands for, constantly negative news. <laughs> and like, 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 let's see, wars and rumors of wars. Anybody heard of those? Earthquakes, tsunamis, famine, drought, all kinds of issues that are still happening. You're not gonna surprise Jesus. Jesus has still got a plan, but these things are gonna happen. And Jesus says, all of these are the beginning of birth pains. I know when Janet, when we celebrated, oh my goodness, you're pregnant, to the nine months delivery, or, or right around there, a little bit late, we, we weren't expecting birthing pains in month two. But the closer it got, even the little bit would be like, you okay? You know, she's like, ooh, I'm, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, just in case. I, 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 you know, there, there was just something like it closer it gets, the closer it gets, the closer it gets. I, we want to be ready. We want to have our bags packed. We want to make the nurseries right. We want to make sure that, that, that I got the keys to the car in the right spot and, 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 and that mama's happy because if mama's ain't happy, ooh. And, and like all of those, are, these are all signs. We don't quite know, but I can tell you we're not in the first trimester, everybody. These are birthing pains. We need to have wisdom and be wise like the men of Issachar. It was a tribe in David's time, King David's time. 
Scripture says, the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And let me tell you what to do with this message today. Let me offer you what you could do with this message. First, let me say this. Jesus doesn't want you scared. I did grow up in some evangelical practices that tried to scare you towards the Savior. The truth is, you can garner respect from your children by your children being scared of you, but you will not keep a relationship with them by your children being scared of you. Jesus doesn't want you scared. He wants relationship. He doesn't want you scared. He wants you prepared. So as we wrap up today, what should we do? What should we do? Because there's both extremes. One extreme says, ah, scoffers, just like what we read. Everybody's been saying that. But then the other is the extreme of like um, being so worried about it that you get tied up and tense and, and, and like you don't just stop doing what you're called to do. We stay ready. In fact, that's the first thing. I should get ready if I'm not ready. You should get ready. Here's what Jesus says about the second coming of Christ. When the Son of Man returns, it's gonna be like it was in Noah's day. And Noah was building an ark and preaching the good news that God wanted to save humanity, but that there was a flood coming. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. I mean, Thanksgiving and football and everything. People didn't realize what was gonna happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. That's how it will be. It will be a surprise. And Jesus goes on. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Notice that they didn't like get their, all their hoarded Campbell's soup together and just stop and just started singing kumbaya and just had revival services, they were still working. They were still active. They were still doing their J-O-B. But they were ready. At least one of them was. They were ready. So you too, keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch. Most, and would not permit his house to be broken into. We've had a hog infestation in our backyard the last few years. And we only live like two miles away. And it's my friend, like Martin, with his scope, hanging out with me, middle of the night, scoping them out, <laughs> killing those hogs. He said, you name it, man, you name it. Whenever you need me to come in there and give you some hog, I, I got it. He's just excited to come over whenever it happens. It hadn't happened in a while, but I'm kind of hoping it does because it just gets me pumped. <laughs> Shooting hogs off the back porch. <laughs> I can't give them the time and the exact, but like I, I keep watch because they're going to ruin my yard. You got to keep watch. You got to be ready. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. What was the this? He was, they were asking him, when were you gonna return and, and, and make your kingdom? He says, don't worry about that. But I will give you power to be witnesses, to tell people everywhere how good I am. 
So don't worry about the coming. Think about what you're supposed to be doing and I will give you power, empower you with my Holy Spirit to give the good news. I should think clearly, okay? Get rid of all the other stuff, focus in and think clearly. Scripture says, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can think it out. No, we, we really try to just think it more than we really rely on Jesus. And we ought to be thinking Christians. But it's like you should be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Do you know that when my mind is cloudy, I tend not to pray, I tend to worry. I, I lean more into worrying about stuff than praying about stuff. And when I worry about stuff, my issues get bigger. But when I pray about stuff, my God gets bigger. When I worry about stuff, the stuff gets bigger. When I pray about stuff, your God gets what? Yes. It's not that he gets bigger, it's that you see him bigger because you are shuffling the laundry of your life and sorting it out and finding balance of that he's a big God and he can handle it and you've got to go to him with your stuff. I got to keep rolling. I should focus on relationships. A lot you can focus on, you can put your, your head right into the Bible, but if you learn another scripture verse, but you never walk across the lawn and share love, you've missed it, everybody. I go back to Romans 13. Remember the this that I was going to bring up? This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. What is the this that Paul's talking about earlier? He's saying it earlier in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Like time's running out, so... Memorize some scripture, but don't let that be the end. Love people. And the best way you love people is offering them grace and truth of the one who first loved them. I don't know what it's gonna be like. But you shouldn't be scared. You should be prepared. As a matter of fact, when you're prepared, when you have relationship of love, that reunion is going to be beautiful. It's not going to be scary. It's going to be beautiful. Across all the interwebs, nothing quite gets me in my feels like military reunions. I can watch a military video reunion and it just hits me in the gut. Here's a couple of my favorite ones. Take a look.
Grab a Mickey. Why is she crying? And one of the other kids said, that's happy tears. That's happy tears. I think it's because I recognize the sacrifice the military families make. For people they don't even know. To keep us safe. And if you can understand the perspective that the sacrifice Jesus has made to give you what you really, really need and everything you could ever want, we ought not be scared of a reunion with him. We ought to look forward to it. Are we living in the last days? I don't know. There's some signs that are increasing. But here's what I do know. In the vapor of life that is mine, I am living in my last days. The possibility of my life being halfway over is pretty high. I don't wanna waste it. I don't wanna get to the end of my life and succeed in all kinds of things that at the end of the day doesn't really So Jesus has encouraged us all throughout scripture. If you wanna make the most of these days, I should find a way to make an internal difference. That we shouldn't just love people, but we should love people toward Jesus. That we should love people towards heaven. That we should live on purpose with purpose. People are the only thing that will last forever. And they're made in the image of God. And he's coming back. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Would you live different? I need to live a little different, heads bowed and eyes closed, two, two places to pray today. The first would be, if you're not prepared to meet Jesus, how do you prepare? He says, confess me as Lord, believe in your heart that I am who I say that I am and I, I lived a perfect life, I died to death for you and you're saved. 
Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And if that's you, and maybe you've drifted or you've never invited Jesus into the center of your life, today can be the day of salvation for you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to invite you into the greatest relationship ever known to man. In your own words, maybe you would say, dear Jesus, will you be my savior today? Would you come into my life and be the center of my life? I don't even know what it all means. I don't have all the answers. But I want to put you in the middle. Help me, Jesus. Jesus, meet you right where you are. And then for those of you that are here and maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but to be honest, there's all kinds of things in your life that are back burner things that are taking the, the main stage, aren't they? I know I'm there. I need to pray this over myself. Jesus, help us to situate the loves of our heart to keep the main things, the main things, the main people, the main people, the main priorities, the main priorities. God, forgive us for getting so tied up and ticked off over the stuff at the end doesn't really matter. We focus on you today, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.